Tonight we are over halfway through our walk through the Gospel of John. Tonight is the 55th message in this Gospel. And I want us tonight to, to pause for a second and to think. I want us to pause for a second and to evaluate tonight. Now, to me it is clear, in fact it is crystal clear, God is showing us his great love. Even more than I imagined, even more than I could have thought, he is showing us his great love. He is revealing to us over and over in this way and in that way just how much he loves us. I have started saying that the great theme of our faith, the great theme of Christianity is the love of God. That's what I believe. The, the theme of our faith is the love of God. God so loves us. Well, here's the question. Why is God showing us his love? What is his desire? What is his wish in showing us how great his love is? Now, it has to be for a reason. Well, what is his desire in showing us his great love? Now, for sure, John makes it clear in his gospel, the main reason is that we would believe. Over and over again, we've seen it, there is a call to believe, and in believing, to be saved. And so God shows us his gracious love, his astounding love, that we might believe. That is the main reason. And then, however, I believe there is another reason, and that is that we would then walk with Jesus. Listen, that we would abide in Jesus, that we would turn from sin, that we would turn from the world, and that in faith we would draw close to Jesus. I believe that's his purpose. I believe that is his desire in showing us how tremendous his love is, that we would actually abide and walk with Jesus. I believe for many of us that is what he is doing. He wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to see that what he has for us is truly best. And in love, he wants us to abide with him. Can you tell that? Would you agree with that? Is that happening in these 55 days, 55 nights? I pray that that is so. God wants us to walk with him, to know him, to abide with him in love. Tonight our message is entitled, Glory in the Cross. Glory in the Cross. Tonight we're in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Glory in the Cross. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 20, God's Word says this. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for this night. We're thankful for the hope of this day. We're thankful for a day that you blessed us, that you walked with us, and that we were, we were standing in your grace. Lord, I pray now as we've gathered, I, I pray that we would worship you together, that we would exalt and lift up your name together, and that you be greatly glorified in this hour. Lord, I pray in the, in the preaching of your word now. I know it is a, it is a miraculous event. I know it is a supernatural event. And I pray that you would speak to us tonight. I pray that you would have our ears and our hearts and our attention tonight. And I pray that we would hear from you. The greatest thing that could happen on this night is that we would hear from you. Lord, I pray for some that do not know you, some that are stumbling in the darkness, some that are, that are carrying the guilt, the weight of their sin. I pray that on this night, in the hearing of good news, that they would trust you, that they would follow in faith and they would be saved tonight. Lord, we give you this effort. We, we trust it to you, and we ask that you be known through it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A paradox is a self-conflicting statement that runs contrary to one's expectation. Very simply, uh, it is a backward or it is an upside-down result than from what you'd expect. That is the definition of a paradox. It is an upside-down or a backward result than, than the, the result that you would expect. Uh, well, you may have noticed the gospel of Jesus, honestly, is a giant paradox. Uh, it is literally an upside-down gospel. Now, I want you to think about that for a second tonight. According to Jesus, the first is last, and the last is first. Well, understand, that doesn't make any sense. The world wouldn't agree with that. That is a paradox. The first is last, and the last is first. According to Jesus, to be weak is to be strong, and to be strong, as the world defines it, is to be weak. Well, again, that doesn't make any sense. That is upside down. That is a paradox. According to Jesus, if we're prideful, then we will be brought low. However, if we are lowly, that God will exalt us. That is opposite of what the world would say. That is a paradox. Now, I could keep on going tonight, but the truth is our gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is an upside down gospel. Well, nowhere is this more true Nowhere is this more evident than in our verses tonight. So let's look at our verses. Let's go to our verses. In our verses tonight, Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem. In our verses, what is called the triumphant entry is actually a great demonstration of the gentle kindness, the humility of our Savior, Jesus. In our verses, we find this is the week of his death for sinners, and these are the last steps 
on his trail to Calvary. Now, let me tell you tonight, I believe at this point, every step is worth evaluating. I believe this close to Calvary, every word is worth investigating. And I'll just tell you what a privilege it is to walk with Jesus through his word through these days. Now, I don't know that we ever stop to think about that. We are actually walking through these days, drawing near to the cross with Jesus through the truth of his word. Well, what an honor and a privilege that is for us to do. All right, let's go to our verses, beginning in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Now, remember the, the, the context here. A, a great multitude, the, uh, the, the uh, folks that study this would say as many as a million people have traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And so as many as a million people have made their way to the city to celebrate the Passover. Well, John now tells us included in that group are some Greeks. That's what he says. Included in that group are some Greeks. Now, this is referring to some Gentiles uh, who would have been called God-fearers uh, these folks had left their pagan religions to follow the one true God. Now, understand, if that is true, uh, these were open-minded people. Uh, these were people that were searching, looking for the truth. They were actually looking for the true God. And so the Bible says they had also traveled to Jerusalem to worship. All right, verse 21. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, honestly, no one is sure why they sought out Philip. No one really knows that. Uh, maybe it's because he had a Greek name. Several of them did. Uh, it is probable that he spoke Greek. Most likely he did. Uh, the verse says that he's from Bethsaida of Galilee. Uh, that is the ten city region, the Decapolis, in which uh, there was a large population of Gentiles. And so maybe it's because he has a Greek name. Maybe it's because he could speak Greek. Or maybe it's because he is from this Gentile re region. But for whatever reason... The Bible says they came to Philip and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It most literally translates, we wish an audience with Jesus. What they're saying is we want to talk to Jesus. Sir, we'd like to talk to Jesus. Now, that had to be a popular request, especially during this week. Uh, he has recently healed Lazarus, brought him back from the dead. Uh, he is all the talk in the city. Uh, a huge crowd has ushered him into Jerusalem, calling him their king. And so I'm sure at this time, there are many that would like an audience with Jesus. They would like to talk to Jesus. See this, take note of this. The promise to Abraham is that his seed 
the Messiah would be a blessing to all nations, even to the Gentiles. And so in this, we are already finding the Gentiles are looking in. All right, verse 22. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. All right, the Bible tells us Philip finds Andrew. Uh, He tells Andrew these guys would like to talk to Jesus. Philip and Andrew then go and tell Jesus. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The verse starts, and Jesus answered them. Now, it is not clear if Jesus answered the disciples, and he could have. They came and brought the request. He could have answered the disciples. Or if Jesus answered the Greeks, if he answered the Gentiles. They brought him to him, and so his answer was to them. Or if Jesus answered both of them, at the same time. Now, I believe from the context, the message is for all. Uh, I, I believe it's for any would-be disciple of Jesus, whether they were a Greek, a Gentile, or a Jew. And so I believe in the context, Jesus answers all of them. It is to all of them that Jesus responds. Now, Jesus says to them, listen to this, the hour has come For the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That is a huge statement. That is a dividing line of a statement, a big statement. Notice until now, Jesus has repeatedly said, it is not the hour. It is not the time. When pressed, he has said, the time has not yet come. That has been his consistent answer up until this point. Well, for the very first time, he says, the hour has come. It means the time is here. It literally means this is the time. He has said it's not the time consistently consistently till this time, but now he says, this is the time. Then it says, for the Son of Man. That is a title for the Messiah. Very clearly, he is referring to himself. It is the time for the Messiah, for the Son of Man. Then he says this, to be glorified, to be glorified. Glorify in the original language in the Greek means to render glory, to make renowned or famous. It most literally translates to recognize the real substance of or to make known the true character of. And so understand tonight, Jesus says, the time is now for the true substance of the Messiah to be known. It is time right now for the true character of the Messiah to be revealed. See this tonight. This is talking about the cross. Do not miss that tonight. This is talking about the cross. See this. This is the paradox of 
the gospel. You see, for the world, the way that you would reveal, reveal your greatness is to live. The way that you would reveal your greatness is to succeed. The way that you would reveal your power is to dominate. The way that the world would see your glory is that you would never submit, that you would never surrender. But the paradox here of an upside-down gospel is that Jesus' glory is revealed in death. Jesus' true character is revealed in the cross. And what the world would count as shameful, what the world would count as a bitter defeat, God would reveal his true glory in. Be very sure tonight. Jesus' glory is revealed in the cross of Calvary. And that's, that's the thing we're going to see tonight. Jesus is, listen to me, his glory is revealed in the cross of Calvary. And if you're sitting here tonight and you'd say, I'd like to know his nature, I'd like to know his character, you're going to have to look to the cross. If you're saying, I want to see his love, how great is his love, you'll have to look to the cross. If you want to know about his grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you're going to have to look to the cross. If you want to know about his mercy that is infinite and limitless, you're going to have to look to the cross. If you're going to want to see his plan of salvation, you're going to have to look to the cross. There's no other place. And if you want to know tonight the Savior that we follow, oh, listen to me, if you really want to know him, you don't have to look at ten places. You don't even have to look at two places. You look at the cross of Calvary. And there... In blood and agony and pain and death and love and sacrifice, you'll see the glory of Jesus. You want to know who your Savior is? You look to the cross. You want to know what character he had? You look to the cross. We look to the cross. Jesus paints a picture in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, look at the picture, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus paints a picture. He says again, truly, truly. That means see this or hear this. It means literally, this is the truth. Take note of the truth. And he says here, his death is a necessary death. Now, again, this is another paradox that there is life that comes from death. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how the world would do it. It's another paradox. It is a necessary death. Now, Jesus says, if a seed never dies and is never planted, there's no impact. Think about it. There's no effect. But when it does die and it is planted, then that seed bears much fruit. The picture is this. Life comes from death. Life comes from death. For us tonight, be very sure. We are saved. Our penalty is paid. Our sins are redeemed in the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Don't miss that. 
There is no salvation outside of the death of Jesus Christ. There's folks, and they want to reframe it. They want to say it in a different way, but you don't be fooled. There is no salvation outside of the death of Jesus Christ. It is only through his death that we are saved. One of my favorite songs that rings in my ears says this. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home, leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It's sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. We're saved through the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Our sins were paid for on that cross. Listen, it was a necessary death. At this point, something unexpected happens, and it is another paradox. You see, when we read these verses, we apply this to him. It was a necessary death. He had to die. We hear those verses for him, and then suddenly he turns it to us. Verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now understand, to love this life is to hold your life above all else. And that's what it means. To hold your life as the highest priority, your, your life, your plan, your priority trumps all else. It's the most important things. Well, Jesus says, if you serve your life, if you seek your life above all else, you will lose it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Saddest verse. What if you gain the whole world? What if you get all the money? What if you have all the success? What if everybody knows your name? For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world or forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now the flip side, Jesus says, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Now let me explain this to you. Get this. This is to be so committed to Christ, so concerned for the cause of Christ, that you set aside your concern for self. That's what this means. It is to be so committed to Christ and so concerned for the cause of Christ that you set aside concern for yourself. Did you know that's Christ-likeness? We go around and say, I'd like to be like Christ. Oh, if I could be like Christ. Did you know that is Christ-likeness? Did you know that is discipleship? Oh, what's your discipleship program? Listen, that is discipleship. It's not bragging on all the Bible studies you've done. It's not talking about all the Bible knowledge that you've accumulated. To be a disciple is to be so committed to Christ and so concerned for the cause of Christ that it overruns your concern for yourself. And it's not me any longer. It's not my plans that matter. It's not my glory that I seek. It's not my fame that I seek. It is Jesus that I must make famous. 
Verse 26, he goes on. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where's Jesus going? He says to serve him, we have to follow him. He says where he is, his servant will also be. Where is Jesus going? Jesus is going to the cross. The way of the cross leads home. He's going to the cross and he tells us this. Listen, and we are to follow him there. You see, we glory in his cross. We, we take great joy over the fruit of his cross. We like to talk about his cross, but I, I'm, I'm afraid here's the thing. We then overlook our cross. Isn't that what we do today? We take pride in his cross, but then we overlook our cross. Galatians 6.14 says, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Listen, we have been crucified to the world. We are dead to the world. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, And I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus says, we follow him in crucifixion. Jesus says, as people seeking to be Christ-like, we must die to self. That's what Christ-likeness is. That's what discipleship is. We have the idea today, maybe we proclaim and preach this idea that, that we have died, that he has died, and we trust in that. And then we move on with our life. We keep on going with our life and we take up again our priorities. Listen, the truth of Christianity is we have to die to self. Listen, not part of our salvation, but as a result of our salvation, we are crucified to the world. Friends, God is showing us his love. His overwhelming, astounding love is marvelous, gracious love so that we would trust him, so that we would love him, so that we would actually see that his way is so much better than the world's way. We would trust that and so that we would walk closely with him. You see, that's the point in this. He wants us to believe and in believing be saved, but he wants us to get close to him. He wants us to be tired of the things of the world, the sins of the world. He wants us to walk off in the world and walk locked in step with him. That's why he shows us his love. Notice the last of the verse. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's what Jesus says, the one that would surrender the world's idea of success, the one that would surrender the world's applause and not seek it, the one that would leave their own pride behind, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. Here's our truth tonight. His glory and our glory are both in the cross. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for the truth that you love us. We're thankful that, that none of us are outside of the reach of your love. That whatever our sin is, however far we are away, that you still love us. We're thankful that we're so loved that you send your only begotten son to carry our sin away, to pay for it, to take our shame away, the burden of our guilt. You died for it on the cross. You paid for it in your blood. I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm thankful that in your love and in your grace, you offer us your righteousness. You don't laugh at us. You don't mock us. You don't count us as ruined. But you gently offer us your righteousness by faith in Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful as sinners here tonight, all of us. First off, if we haven't trusted you, if we haven't turned to you as the remedy for our sin, that we would do so tonight. We wouldn't carry it out of this room. The weight of it, the, the, the weariness of it, that we wouldn't carry it out of this room. We'd sell it tonight. We'd leave it with you in faith. Lord, I, I pray for us that, that our believers tonight, the same thing, that we would turn to you. We would turn away from the world we would walk away from the things of the world. We would walk closely by your side. Lord, we come, and I'm thankful for the picture of your great love. We praise you for it. I pray now that this message would bear the fruit that you would intend. I pray that you've been known, that you are known, that you be glorified in it. I pray that any decision that's made would again bring glory to you. I trust that it will. Lord, we ask that you move at this time. We give you this, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. I want to tell you the good news is the good news. Here's the good news. God loves you. God loves you. He hasn't cast you away. He hasn't put you off somewhere. He loves you. And in that great love, he's, he's willing to forgive you. In fact, so willing is his own son to purchase it, your redemption, your forgiveness in blood. It's already a settled fact. It's already done in the person of Christ. The Bible says if we will trust him, if we will turn to him, he'll forgive us, he'll renew us, he'll restore us, he'll redeem us, he will save us. Listen tonight, if you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him tonight, he will save you tonight. Sometimes I wonder what's a clean slate worth to you? I know what it's worth to me. What's a clean slate worth to you? In Christ, we're forgiven and our slate is clear. We become the righteousness of Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus, do it tonight. Maybe you've trusted him, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. I want to give you an opportunity as well to come and say, I want to testify to who I am in Christ and what I believe of Christ. And you come as well. We'll set a date for your baptism. It'll be a great a testimony to what we believe of Jesus, a great celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe that God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll serve for his name's sake, for his glory. Maybe on this night, this 55th night, you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe the burden of your heart, I don't know, maybe nobody else knows, but you want to come and bring it to him in humility. Or maybe tonight on this 55th night, as we go into the last 45 nights, you want to pray for this effort. Pray that God takes it and he, and he takes it and radically uses it for a radical response. God is speaking to you tonight. Move tonight. Respond tonight. Respond to his grace tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. If God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.